On today's show, we're going to continue our series, Performance Equals Profit, section number 13. Today, we're going to talk about three different issues. Number one, your CSRs are going to learn how customer service impacts profit, right? Something they need to know. Technicians are going to learn the value of online reviews, and your sales folks, well, they're going to learn how to get back to basics after the summer rush. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Now, before we dive into today's content, I want to throw a little something out there for you if you're a non-EGIA member. If you're enjoying the content that the show provides, I'm going to encourage you to check out our full courses by joining the platform for 30 days free of charge. Click the Join button at the top right, then select the Plus Membership. We'll give you access to the full courses so you can start to make your business go to the next level. You know, folks, having an exceptional customer experience is no longer uh, a nice-to-have. It's kind of a have-to-have. The reality is we have to create an overwhelming wow experience for our customers. And the truth of the matter is our CSRs are the first line of defense because that's typically the first interaction the customer has with, uh, with our company. So I want to share a video with you from Gary Ellix that talks about the value and the necessity of having this amazing customer experience for your homeowners. So I'd, I'd like to give you some statistics first, and then I'm going to take you over to the whiteboard, and I'm going to break down some of those basic ideas for implementation. And then as I come back into the studio, we'll finalize the discussions uh, in segment two, so that we can crystallize for you, uh, both as an owner management team, and if we have team members or their associates watching this, technicians, maintenance technicians, customer service dispatchers, uh, getting everybody on the same page and working together as a team in alignment doesn't mean that you're going to sit around the campfire and sing kumbaya and everybody's going to have s'mores and love each other. That's just not necessarily what we're talking about. Not saying that's a bad idea because that's not necessarily a bad idea. But the idea we're discussing is we need to have a common theme and a common set of philosophies for how we're going to operate as a business. And so people understand inside of the team what that is and how it's supposed to work. And when that's occurring, even if we make a mistake, we understand that that, that happens. Physical errors happen. But the, but the process itself is organized. And so you're going to win more often than not if you can set up those types of practices. So I'm going to give you some of those ideas. So first off, let's look at some stats. If you take a look at this slide, uh, this is just general research that's out there as to why you should turn your customer service and brand experience goggles on full power and just start staring at what you're doing and what your customers are saying you're doing and benchmarking that with what you think you're doing, uh, which sometimes are not the same thing. So the first issue is pretty much, you know, I hear this all the time when I do the pricing classes. You know, I got one truck of Harry out there, and he's just out there at $2,500, and, you know, I'm at $7,000, and the customer just doesn't understand the difference. Well, that's a problem, for sure. But it's not the exact problem that's being defined by that argument, meaning that the, if the guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's pricing it under cost, there's not a heck of a lot you can do anyway. You have to price for your own value proposition. But the second part of that equation goes like this. People are going to spend more money if they actually believe they're going to get better customer service. You would not have BMW. You would not have Lexus. You would not have Ferrari. You would not have Jaguar. You would not have Maserati. You would not have McLaren. You would not have Bugatti. You wouldn't have any of those things. 
You wouldn't have expensive houses. You would have nothing that was anything other than a granite structure or a concrete structure that you, know, you just lived in and everybody lived in the same place. We're a capitalist business planet here in the United States. I mean, that's what we do. What that means is there's competition, okay? So competition creates differences in value, meaning that, hey, I can sell a Ferrari for X amount of dollars because it has things on it and does things that these other vehicles don't. Somebody thought about that idea, they created that idea, they executed that idea. So 10% more doesn't seem like a lot, but you're not competing against that guy who is essentially you know, working out of his house who doesn't understand how to price. Nothing wrong with that guy. I like that guy. I hope he joins EGIA and figures out how to actually price. You should get him to join EGIA. The flip side of that is, is that there's a whole lot of companies out there that are not exceptional at their customer experience. And so if we can't translate that to the client, then the client doesn't really have any way to mechanize the uh, 10%. They can't what we call monetize it. So let's go to the slide. So the second area there then is when a customer actually really receives good experience, like it really happens well, they're going to talk to people. And they're going to go on social media. And so they're going to be between 10 and 12 people out there that are going to essentially get a positive vibe, a positive message. The second part of that, though, unfortunately, is when somebody has a poor experience, when the deliverable doesn't match. I got vanilla instead of chocolate. And they didn't correct the problem. Well, when that happens, we're going to tell 20 people. So I got a story. We all have a story. Everybody has a story. So I have this, um, this garage works character, you know, who gives me a written estimate and uh, actually gave my wife the written estimate. And so we went forward with that and said, do the work. And uh, so it was a, a damaged spring in one of the garage doors on the house that we had. And so it was no big deal. I mean, it was, let's fix the spring and let's go. So the guy came out, he looked at it, took pictures, and he gave us the written estimate. So he goes back, I'm out on the road, I'm expecting the work to get done, it's a spring replacement, no big deal. Well, I get the call from the wife and she's saying, well, they, uh, they want more money. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They want more money. That doesn't make any sense to me. We have a written estimate, the guy came out, he took pictures of it, he looked at it, he said, well, yeah, here you, you know, this, here, you talk to him. So, you know, I'm, I'm not in a good frame of mind right now. So their operational processes right now are absolutely imploding in my mind. Like, as a customer, like, I'm welling up with venom right now. So I'm like, being patient, trying to be under control. What's the story? He's like, well, um, we got the wrong spring it uh you know we made an error and so uh, we're gonna have to get uh the other spring and the other spring is uh eleven hundred fifty dollars instead of like i don't know six hundred fifty dollars was the original quote whatever it was including the fix and i said um no that's unacceptable i go i understand that you might have made an error that's not my problem you came out you gave me a written estimate you took pictures for god's sake and you sent them back and you gave me an indication that this is the price. And now you're telling me, and he used the word upcharge. So I'm not happy. I'm like, get the hell out of my house. So they leave. I, I go on Facebook and I start sabotaging. Look at number three, okay? Number three. When the customers receive a poor customer service, they will tell 20 people. 
Now remember, if you're not a member, click the join button at the top of this page. Or go to egia.org slash 30 days free and you can get access to all of the CSR courses for the next 30 days. You know, a few weeks back we had Gary Ellix talking about the perfect service call. And obviously that's part of delivering this exceptional experience. But once, once you deliver that experience, we got to document it, right? This is how we get online reviews and online ratings. I want to share another video with you from Gary Ellix. It talks about the importance of getting these online ratings and how to drive up the customer experience and increase your reviews online. How do we get the technician to actually buy in? How do we create that behavior change? How do we create that leadership question? So first and foremost on the list is number one. Um, I like to talk to the technicians in my group and when I consult and travel to different companies and I ask the question, hey, what do you think your role is? I mean, if you were a service professional, uh, and the key word here is in fact professional, um, define for me what you think your role is in relationship to the company, the client experience, and what we need to have transpire. So I think a lot of times we don't go to the higher level. We don't look at the upper end of what we're trying to accomplish first. We look at the tactical end, which is more, hey, we need reviews. And you're not doing you know, a good job of producing a number of reviews, or the company isn't getting the number of reviews. What's going on? And we attack the problem down at a lower level without dealing with the thinking pattern question you know, developed in one of the original leadership videos we did, really from the Maxwell uh, blueprint, which is thinking patterns create belief systems, right? Belief systems then create people's expectations. So the question becomes, what is a professional in our organization? And this is where I would introduce to the technicians the need to understand that that might be a change. That historically, we didn't ask you to do this, now we are asking you to do this. So let's debrief on this. Let's talk about it. So what does being a professional mean? The principle here is, is that you have to attack the belief system. You have to attack the thinking pattern before you're going to get in and plant the seeds necessary at the leadership level to get the technicians to understand, OK, this isn't just another seminar that the boss went to, or he didn't go to Epic, and he didn't listen to Gary and Wally and Drew talk about the need for digital reviews. This is real life because this is actually impacting the role of what the company gets from the technician as a professional. And this is part of the role description. So part of the deal is you have to sit down and you have to break down the conversation with them. And that's part of your service training, service platform discussions. Um, however you do that, some companies do that monthly, some companies do it weekly. Uh, we're obviously doing on a daily training, but the idea of putting in a role description, role discussion, the, uh, the whole upper level echelon of the idea of what we're trying to accomplish, that's really probably a weekly or a monthly type meeting where you would spend the bulk of the time talking about what are the requirements. I mean, here's one of the problems. If you're spending some time with your technicians and, and, and you've come through the service world, you realize that there's just an awful lot going on during the peak season. Uh, during the slow season, it's not really you know, that difficult in terms of talking to the customer and slowing down. But we put so many calls and so many uh, pieces of pressure you know, on the dispatch and customer service function to the technician. You know, these guys feel the pressure to get through the calls. And so we want them to understand that it's important that we're running a great call each time. Just like we talked about, it's a, it's a game of baseball. It's you know, nine innings. Each call is a inning, and we need to focus on what we're doing at hand. So having that conversation about the role and what a professional is and what a professional does I think is the very first step. The second question then becomes the client experience. 
Uh, now, a lot of companies uh, in the EGI platform have probably already either seen a video or heard us talk about it from time to time that this needs to define what does client experience mean. And so when we go back in to the studio, I will break down for you some suggestions about what I think client experience looks like. It doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It's just a sample, and it's something that we can use as a, as a baseline to talk about. But what I can say is that the culture of the business is about the technicians realizing that change is something that is constant. They're not allowed to get comfortable with the idea that we're doing it this way, and it's always going to be this way. So three years ago, reviews weren't that important to the overall digital platform strategy. Today, three years later, reviews are driving the bus. And three years from now, I don't know what else will be driving the bus, but it might not be reviews. It might be social media, or it might be some other form of digital platform that hasn't even been invented yet. So the idea that client experience is key relates to the principles that we have defined client experience. Client experience means that the customer is happy. They're satisfied. So for us, we want to make sure that we capitalize on that review process. That if the client likes us and we've done a good job for them, we need to make it simple, easy, and effective for the customer to go ahead and execute that review process, which means we need to make it really simple, easy, and effective for the technician to, com uh, to communicate and to be able to get those review processes moving. Again, there's tons of products out there, and all of them are really pretty good. So I think as competition increases, that sharpens the swords. So what happens is the question becomes, is your company culture organized to deal with the idea that reviews are a critical part of getting additional business, referrals, the ability for consumers to do searches is increasingly moving to mobile, and they're using reviews as a basis to judge whether or not we're a good company or whether or not there's somebody that they're going to pass over. So getting the customer to understand the review process is the technician's role. And if we don't train the technicians and we don't organize around that, we're going to end up with a challenge, meaning that we're going to be behind in the digital platforms that we want because that's what's going to make our clients uh, more likely to click, and that's going to make you more successful as a contractor. So what we're talking about right now is getting the higher level ideas in place, right? Building the idea of what is the role of the technician, what is the behavior pattern we're looking for, and then breaking that down into client experience means that, hey, giving me the opportunity to review you and tell you what you're doing, good or bad, is essential. So that brings us down to the operational side. So I would suggest to you that sort of right in here is where we break into the model of what can I do as a business owner or as a service management function or somebody that's just working with a company that's trying to create it. So the first thing is, I think you need to make it fun, some contests and measurements that deal with contests. Um, there's a lot of companies that will throw money at this problem, and I'm okay with that. I have zero problem with incenting the technician for the number of reviews. Um, what you cannot do is you cannot incent the customer. You, you can't pay the customer or give them free service calls. Uh, technically speaking, there, there are no Google police, so you probably can get away with it. It's just against the Google Webmaster rules, and it's one of those things that if, you, if you're doing that, you need to understand that you can't pay a customer or give a customer a benefit directly as a trade for creating a review. What you can do, though, is you can create an incentive for the technician. Obviously, the technician then benefits. So throwing some spiffs, some dollars, or having some contests, something that's fun, is all about creating a measurement process. And the measurement process itself is important. We're going to talk about that in the next bullet point. 
But what we need to do is we need to understand that not all technicians are created equal. So I'm interested in um, the total reviews that I create from my service company. I'm not interested necessarily in any one individual you know, uh, who may be strong or weak at their communication models. Um, so understand that you're working with a group of people to get lots of reviews, and so you need to measure that, but also then obviously you want to measure the individual technicians. Where necessary, coach the technicians up, and we'll talk about that as well. Now remember, if you're not a member, click the Join button at the top of this page. Or go to egia.org slash 30 days free, and you can get access to all of the CSR courses for the next 30 days. You know, the summertime is great because we make a lot of money when the weather's driving our business, but the reality is we know things are going to cool down when we start getting in September and October. And I really encourage people to get back to basics of the sales process because we know, you know, corners can get cut when we're really, really busy and the weather's cooperating. So this week I want to talk about the very basics of the fundamentals of relationship building, that first step towards, you know, building a relationship with your homeowner, earning their trust, and earning their business. Take a quick one. reality is during the summer we can cut corners in the process we can drop off bids we can do whatever we want to do and because 100 degrees outside people are buying from us well we all know when it's 75 degrees it's just not the same way you got to get back to basics uh, think about it this way during the summertime when it's really hot like this is you and this is your customer right they're so close it's a very big target it's very easy to hit the target right but when you get into the the, the fall the slower seasons now this is your customer and this is you and it's a much more difficult target to hit. To hit that target, you got to be on point. You got to get back to the basics, the fundamental of sales. When we talk about the sales process, there's really two things, three things that we're going to cover this week and next week. Number one, you got to get back to basics in relationship building. Number two, you got to get back to basics in investigating your homeowner's problems and closing all the doors. When I talk about closing the doors, I'm talking about eliminating I want to think about it eliminating I want a cheaper price, and eliminating I want three bids. I'm going to show you, and it's part of our core training. By the way, this is an addendum to our core training. If you haven't been to the core sales training, go back to the dashboard and watch the whole residential sales process because I'm going to be going over some highlights here in the next couple of weeks, but you got to understand the core process. you got to know how to deal with I want three bids, I want to think about it, and I want a cheaper price. you got to know how to deal with those things beforehand before the homeowner ever brings them up. I'll be talking about that some over the course of the next week. So we're going to talk about, you know, kind of that relationship building process, the investigation process, closing the doors, and then of course, we're going to talk about closing next week. How do you close the deal? At the end of the day, nobody gets paid until you finish the deal and close it. So we're going to get back to the basics and get you ready for the slower season now that you have fewer leads to run. So let's talk about relationship building. When you're talking about relationship building, you're talking about sales 101, right? Now, this is something that most of us are really good at, especially salespeople. Technicians not as often have the communication skills, but many technicians do have you know, good communication skills. But if you're a sales consultant, you have to have fantastic communication skills. Sales is a transference of emotion. Sales is a transfer of trust. Sales is a reflection of having a good relationship. Now, building a relationship is really, really simple. What it comes down to is expressing genuine interest in your customer. Zig Ziglar used to always talk about the form method. Family, occupation, recreation, material possessions. You can ask people questions because questions are the absolute best way to build a relationship. When, when you're asking someone a question, you're demonstrating interest in their life. And when they're talking, 
they feel like you're interested. Listen, if you're doing all the talking, people don't feel like they're connecting you at all. But when you show genuine interest in what's going on in their life, they will respond to that. So when they're talking, you know you're doing your job. If you're doing the talking, you gotta, you got to be careful, right? Uh, Brian Tracy used to often say that the sales process is like being on a stage, uh, like the stage of a theater. And there's two chairs. There's you and there's your customer. And you guys are talking to each other, right? But there's only one spotlight in that theater. You have to make sure that spotlight stays on your customer. Anytime you feel the glare and the heat of that light being on you too long, you got to put it back on your customer. How do you get it back on your customer? Simple, easy as pie. Ask a question. When you ask a question and they start answering, the spotlight goes back to them. That's how you build a relationship. So you can ask them questions about their family. You know, how, is your family from town? How long have you guys lived here? Uh, you know, do you have family in the area? Where'd you grow up? You know, all those types of things. Occupation. What do you do for a living? Uh, how'd you get in that line of work? Wow, you know, that must be really, tell me more about that. People, you know, will, will love talking about some part of their life, either their family, their occupation, recreation. Hey, Mr. Jones, what do you do when you're not working, you know? You know, what do you like to do? Oh, hunting, and you know, they start talking about hunting. Our material possessions. Wow, that's a beautiful Harley you got out in the driveway. When's the last time you went on a nice ride? So you get them interested or, or get them involved in that conversation by asking them questions. And it's a skill, but it's a skill you can develop. Practice it in your role play uh, in your sales meetings, right? Just take one of your coworkers and have a five-minute conversation. And during that five-minute conversation, make sure they're doing 80% of the talking. So, Joe, you know, tell me about your family. You got any kids? Oh, what are your kids' names? Wow, what grade are they in? You know, that kind of stuff, right? Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your husband, right? So get people talking about their family, their occupation. One of those four usually will be kind of the spark for that person. You never know which one it is, right? It might be family. It might be their work. It might be their recreation. It might be their material possessions. What I can tell you is that you have to kind of move to the area where people show interest. If you start talking about family and they don't seem interested, don't keep talking about family. Move on to what do you do for a living? Now, of course, we're talking about the early stages of the sales process, right? We're just talking about the early first, you know, three, four, five, ten minutes while you're building some rapport. I remember one time I was on a sales lead, and I walk in the house, and it's this old guy, and we're walking down the hallway, and there's like hundreds of framed pictures on the wall with kids and grandkids and family and, you know, obviously a big, huge family and a lot of gatherings and that kind of stuff. So we get down to the kitchen table, and I says, well, sir, I couldn't help but notice all the beautiful pictures there in your hallway. And he turns to me and he says, ah, that's my wife's kids. I hate those sons of bitches, greedy little, you know, he goes. And so I changed the subject very quickly and said, well, what did you do? He was retired. I said, what did you do when you were working, you know? And, and, and I kept, you know, asking questions until I found something he was interested in. But don't pound somebody on something they're interested in. The other thing you got to remember, keep the spotlight on them, ask lots of questions. The other thing to remember is when you find something in common with people, and you will, and you should, right? Maybe you ride Harleys too, and they got a Harley or boats or whatever. But you got to make sure you're talking about their Harley. And you got to make sure they're talking about their boat. One of the things that, you know, is very easy to do is to sound like you're one-upping somebody, even when you don't mean it, right? So he's got a Harley, and, you know, you start talking about your Harley. Maybe your Harley's nicer. Or maybe you've been on cooler trips than they had. And all of a sudden, you're talking about your Harley and your trips. Let me tell you something. You're taking money out of your pocket because you're making that homeowner feel like, Wow, he's the big tough guy. I'm the little guy. You, you want to like empower your homeowners, right? Your customers. You, you want to build them up. You want to make them feel like they're fantastic, right? So you can relate and say, yeah, I ride, a, I ride a Harley too and I ride such and such. But come back to them. Come back to their trips. You know, what have you done to your bike lately? What kind of cool, you know, uh, upgrades have you made? You know, what's, what kind of trips have you been on lately? You got to talk about their stuff. I remember one time when I first started selling, 
I was uh, maybe six months, now nah, maybe about a year into selling. And uh, I had the opportunity to go to Maui and went out to Maui and got to play golf uh, at the plantation course there uh, at, at Kapalua. Now, I'm a huge golf fan, and uh, every year, the first tournament of the year, every January, uh, is played at the plantation course at Kapalua. It used to be called the Mercedes, then it was the Hyundai, and now it's called something else. But it's the same tournament, and it's the very first tournament of the season in January. And so we went out there, and like, it was, you know, one of my favorite golf memories was from the year 2000 when Tiger Woods and Ernie Els were battling it out on a Sunday afternoon at that course uh, and went to extra holes and Tiger won uh, on, the, on the second uh, overtime hole. So I was super excited when I went out there and I realized I was going to get to play that course, right? So I played the course. It was just awesome. And I'm thinking about, you know, I knew all the shots because I watched the tournament every year on television. And so I come back home and I go out in the lead and I'm walking through the garage. And what do you think I see in the guy's garage? I see golf clubs everywhere, right? Clearly, the guy is an avid golfer. Well, we sat there and we talked about golf for half an hour before we ever talked about air conditioning. But you know what? We talked about his golf. I never mentioned that trip to Kapalua because it was a big deal to me, but I promise you it was not a big deal to him. And if I started talking about, wow, I went and played the plantation course and blah, 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 he would have felt like, wow, you know, trying to one-up me. People are super sensitive to this. I'll give you another example. I was in Boston recently speaking there at a convention. I'm there for a couple of days, and it's a huge convention center in, uh, attached to a hotel. I come down the elevator to the convention center, and it's so big, they've got an old guy there, and he's got all the events that are going on in the various rooms, and so I told him what, what event I was there for, and he, he gave me a direct. Super nice guy, right? Next morning, I come down, same thing. Uh, I walk over to him, and I said, uh, how you doing? He says, well, I'm doing super. How are you doing? I said, well, I guess I'm doing super duper, right? Old man looks at me and says, you just had to one-up me, didn't you, right? That's how sensitive people are. They want it to be about them. So if you want to be good in sales, if you want to change your zip code, if you want your kids to go to better schools, if you want to retire earlier with more money in the bank, you've got to get good at building relationships. This is not an optional thing. Unless you want to be mediocre, a mediocre salesperson, a mediocre income producer, you've got to get good at relationships. Listen, I just got interviewed for a guy writing a book, and he said, what's the number one thing that makes salespeople successful? I said, the guys that can build relationships, the guys that can build friendships. How do you do it? Ask questions, keep the spotlight on them, and talk about their Harley not your heart. That's some sales one-on-one, right? The next thing I want you to think about with respect to the sales process is what I call the investigation stage. The reality is you've got to get good at uncovering problems uh, that your homeowners have. Remember, they're going to call you about one problem, one little problem. But the truth is they probably have four or five problems that you could solve for them. You know, they may solve you uh, or call you rather for the air conditioning problem, but they may also have a heater problem, you know, that they forgot about from last winter. They may also have an indoor air quality, right? They may have a humidity problem. They may have an allergy problem. They have all these other problems. And what you've got to remember is that your homeowners are not always aware of their problems because they're focused on the one they called you about. And when we have a problem, we're the same way. Think about yourself as a consumer. When you have a problem, you get focused on fixing that problem, and it's very easy to overlook other problems, right? I'll give you a perfect example. In my house, i got a three-story house. And in the basement, where's the man cave, it's the weirdest thing. Whenever somebody upstairs flushes the toilet, uh, my toilet down, there's two down there in the shower, uh, in, the, in, the, in the man cave in the basement, they kind of start gurgling, right? And it always bothers me. I hear it. I'm like, one of these days, like, I'm going to have like a volcanic eruption out of this toilet down here. You know, it's going to be terrible. But then I forget about it. And so one day, my wife has a plumber in the house to fix the sink upstairs. And he comes in and he fixes the sink. 
And uh, I come home. He's there finishing up things. And I go down in my basement. He leaves. And I'm like, I go to my wife. I said, babe, I said, did you tell the guy about my gurgling toilet? And she goes, no, I completely forgot about it. I said, so did I. What would have happened if that plumber had taken three seconds to say, do you have any problems with gurgling toilets or, you know, sinks that are backing up? Do you have any problems with, you know, not enough hot water in your house? What if he had asked one or two simple questions? You know what my wife would have said? Oh, my God, my, my husband's man cave, you know, because, you know, by the way, you know what the problem was? There was a freaking root, dry, you know, growing to the thing, and it's like 10 grand to replace the thing. Uh, the, 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 you know, they got to reline the whole deal. My point is the guy missed a, an amazing opportunity because she was focused on getting her sink fixed, and we completely forget these are the problems. So what you got to do in the sales process is what I call investigation stage. It's a simple questionnaire. You can use ours. You probably have one of your own, but it's your homeowner survey. And the purpose of that is to sit down, have a conversation with your homeowner about all the problems in the house. Ask about indoor air quality. Ask about the utility bills. You know, ask about a noisy furnace, a noisy air conditioner. You got to uncover these problems. And sometimes people will have a problem that they don't even realize or they forgot about, but when you start talking about it, then they're like, oh, oh yeah, I got that problem. Right? So that's how you uncover additional problems. The other thing I want to suggest to you is anytime you find a problem, your homeowner says, yeah, my daughter's got allergies and so we have an indoor air quality problem, I guess. When, they, when you uncover a problem, you have to ask this question. You have to say, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, is that something I should keep in mind when I design your system? Get their permission to offer solutions to that at the end. Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, should I keep in mind the, the high utility bills when I design your system? Oh, yeah, keep that in mind. They're not agreeing to buy anything, but now I've got a green light to offer a high-efficiency solution. Little Susie's got allergies. Is that something I should keep in mind, Mr. Homeowner? Yeah, you know, we want Little Susie to, to feel better. Now I've got permission to offer indoor air quality products, right? You got any hot and cold spots in the house? Oh, yeah, that bedroom back there is, you know, really hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Now I've got permission to offer a, a ductless solution or maybe some duct modifications. The bottom line is you've got to find the problems, and then you have to ask the homeowner, is that something I should keep in mind? I want to share a quick video. It's uh, from our core training. And remember, this is just an overview of some highlights to get back to basics. If you haven't been to the core training, you've got to go through the whole process. If you want to be really good at this stuff, if you want to be a high-income producer, if you want to change your zip code, if you want to retire earlier with more money in the bank, you've got to go through the basic process and master that process. So I'm going to share a clip with you from that core training. And this is me in a role play situation. And I'm actually going through and doing this interview process that, that I'm talking to you about. What I want you to notice is this. Ask yourself how many times uh, when I find problems that the homeowner does not really immediately recognize, when I get them to acknowledge that problem, ask yourself how many times I come back and say, is that something I should keep in mind? Is that something I should consider when I design your system? And you'll see there's five or six or seven times in the course of this interview uh, investigation stage that the homeowner gives me permission to keep all these amazing solutions in mind, which I promise you we'll talk about next week. I keep all those problems in mind, right? And I offer solutions to every one of those problems. As a result, the average ticket is massively increased, not because of high pressure, not because of high prices, but because I solve more problems for my homeowners. Well, folks, that's our show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Everybody's got to do their part to create that amazing experience for your homeowners. And we've got to be ready for the slower seasons by getting back to basics in the sales process. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Until then, bye-bye for now.